As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. On today's episode of The Glue Guys, we will dive into the eight Mm. straight win streak mm. that is your Brooklyn Nets um <laughs> what a game against the magic last night delicious we'll talk about Nick Claxton wow Claxtonia dominating and uh we will just kind of dive in through the rest of the roster and assess how each of the role players are doing so far on your Brooklyn mm. Nets Wait, what's that sound again? What's the? What, what do you think about when you're making that sound? Are you like a, a mouse? Using some cheese, Just slurping, slurping up that good, Just, good. <laughs> you know, it's abstract for me. Welcome back to the Glue Guys. This is Mike here. Say hello, Brian. Check us out on Twitter at BKGlueGuysNetsDaily.com. The Athletic. Get behind that paywall. Yeah. Theathletic.com slash Glue Guys. There'll be a link in our bio. Brian, the Nets are back. They really, they really are, Mike. How, How the heck are you? How's it going for you? I'm in a place, a wonderful place. I feel like I'm in Aladdin. Aladdin has swooped me up on his magic carpet, and we're just going to a whole new world, a new fantastic place to see. Don't you dare close your eyes, Mike. That's Don't the that's like, that's the part that's a little much. Like, okay, Aladdin, chill. Don't you dare Don't close you your eyes. Dare. Don't you dare. Um, well, that's um, good. Yeah. That by the good. way, I was watching uh, Quick Diversion. Oh, okay, good. I uh, I have a, a two and a half year old, the Rowmeister, Rowan. And we were watching Little Mermaid. We popped on the old cartoon Disney Little Mermaid. I was excited to show him it. And a moment at the beginning hit me like it's never hit me before. Did you know Little Mermaid was 16 years old? I didn't. Six. I didn't 16. know that. Is there like, now, a, like a fish years thing there though? Like, like dog years? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Could there be a... Would you age slower or quicker in the sea? I mean, you get all pruney in the sea. So I would guess oh, you age faster. 
Got it. In the sea, not slower. 16 years old. And so I thought, obviously, she falls in love with the prince, mm-hmm. the, the pirate prince who's just on the boat. Yeah. First guy she sees. First guy she sees. Yeah. And I thought that he would be like, what What age, when you think of him, what age do you think of? I'm going to go mid, now, well, now that she's 16, I'm going like mid-20s on him, but it's, it sounds like more like he's in his 40s or something now. Right? Well, I, yeah. I had, when I had seen the movie, I had always thought he was like in his 30s. Like, yeah. if you're captaining your own boat and you're a prince. But that's, you know, you're, this is what, the 1800s? So, I mean, when, when, when is that? I mean, back then, the time period back then people had their lives, you know, they're adults faster. You know how it is. Was Little Mermaid based on truth? There's right. there is some there's a grain of truth there. He was 18 though. Oh. In in the illustrated um reimagining like the book version of Little Mermaid, it was mentioned someone cleaned it up. Someone cleaned yeah. up the age. Good. 18 to 16 not But that not bad. I mean not a bad catch. Precocious got his own got his own boat at 18, you know? <laughs> I'm 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 Did lagging your... behind. <laughs> I don't have yeah. a boat. I don't know. I'm in my 30s. What's the proper <laughs> boat <laughs> age for you? <laughs> Uh, speaking of boats, mm. the nets are an unsinkable ship wow. heading towards mm. the island that is the Championship Island. Is that how it feels um, for you? I mean, it's hard to say. I mean, there's an interesting moment last night where I was like, oh, this is the meme where we're playing down to our competition. This is Friday. So last night was the Orlando. I will call it a game. I'll be generous and call that a game. Um, the That shellacking. But uh, yeah, I mean, we were doing the meme where we played down to the competition and then and then actually just like, you know, flipped on the jet boosters and and that was it that was all just zoomed right past them um and i feel like we're starting to be able to to hit that you know just go right from the stuck in first right to fifth or sixth even gear like depending on if you've got a you know sixth gear on your honda civic you know some people <laughs> some people don't uh, do you have a fifth gear? i was i had a fifth gear not a sixth gear on the civic you did have a pretty sweet honda civic yeah i had a i had an old dude i used to get people like a hatchback people, right it was not a hatchback it was a sedan but it was you know a 2005 i want to say stick uh, manual honda civic people used to, i it couldn't park it anywhere people would offer me like 1500 in cash for it everywhere i went they were just like, 50, <laughs> give me like i'll give you 1500 right now they are being under discussed even though they are the topic of like every nba show at the very top about how good they are the Nets are doing this. I just want to remind people the Nets are doing this without Kevin Durant, mm. right? And like as much as we can like it's kind of a meme right now that like the Nets are doing this without Kevin Durant. They really are. Yeah. This is the heart was the hardest part of their schedule as of like the first half of their schedule and we can get to what we think about the second half of their schedule, which is basically their TNT's team for the rest of the year. But the Nets obviously had the West Coast trip, played the Lakers. Yeah, they didn't have AD or Schroeder, but who cares? They played the Clippers in a really good game. Yet, even after the West Coast road trip, you would have thought maybe they lose to the Kings. It's, you know, that's kind of like a classic letdown game. Beat the Kings, dominate the Magic, and they have a delicious 8.30 p.m. matchup on Saturday night against Luka Doncic, Chris Tapps, Porzingis. I don't know if he's going to play. And the Dallas Mavericks. I'm really surprised about this because when Durant was hurt, I thought... You know what? We're going to get some stickiness between Kyrie Irving mm. and James Harden. And stickiness not in a good way. A bad stickiness. <laughs> the sort of the stickiness in the, the bottom of your cup holders mm. in your Honda Civic. Right. You know? Yeah. That kind of old Mysterious. 7-Eleven soda yeah. spill off. It's red big, color. Big gulp. There's a, there's a couple of crumbs in there yeah. from what you don't know. And it's be, just because I did not think that those two guys could coexist on the floor together as well as they have. And they've really played extremely well. Can I ask you something? Yeah. Who gets credit 
you know, there's been a slow, steady drumbeat. Steve Nash, coach of the year. We had the famous conversation. I'm the point guard. You're the shooting guard. Who gets credit for what's happening? The Williamsburg address, please. Let's speak speak that into existence. Joe Harris gets all the credit is <laughs> is actually <laughs> is the correct answer. Um, you know what's funny? I hadn't like – so have you heard the Steve Nash Coach of the Year drumbeat? That's been a steady drumbeat for you? Because I don't really like I, – I'm not – tapped into those types of award kind of things, those conversations. I tweeted it. You so did. Oh, okay. So you're, you're the little drummer <laughs> boy there. I see. Um, yeah. It's actually been really interesting. Cause I was thinking about this last night. Like, okay. So why is it that like, we just don't seem to need Kevin Durant or maybe even like, and not need him long-term. I just need him to rattle off a bunch of wins in the regular season with Kyrie and, and Harden. Uh, and is it possible that like throughout the entire regular season, we can just kind of spell our best, like one at a time, spell our best players and just kind of go in through the regular season, kind of just running two at a time and keep everyone's legs fresh. Is that a, is that a, is that what's sort of like the thought right now? I mean, not, not to diminish the hamstring injury. I'm sure that that's real and everything, but um, I, the way that we're playing just kind of says like, to me, like I kind of like that we're sort of building a real rapport between the two players individually, like one at a time, like this, this Kyrie Harden period has been really important. I think for their, you know, cause they were the fringe friends. It's really Kevin is the, the Lynch <laughs> between the two. You, you've had that. I'm sure where you've got three friends and, you know, or like, you know, any kind of orbiting friendships and someone's kind of like, you know, the, the bridge friend between two people. And then they have to fo- form their own friendship. And the bridge friend leaves for the bathroom. Exactly. And you're yeah. He's got to get at the bar, <laughs> right. Disappears to the bathroom for hours. Who knows, who knows what's happened to them. Um, and then those people have to actually like be friends now for a second or pretend like they're closer friends than they were. That's the best part. Cause it's like, you know, there was this assumed we like each other, but now you have to actually really truly spend the time and, and, and <laughs> build that, build that r- r- rapport yourselves. So anyways, I think, I think for those are emotional arguments and, and dumb ones at that, but, um, it's been interesting to see that that bond build. And again, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm in the place right now where I want to make emotional arguments about this team because, you know, like we were saying last week, that that hasn't really been there to this point. Um, so it's been a joy. And who's to, who is responsible? It's James Harden. I mean, if you want to be if you want me to just like really gun to my head, say, like, what's working about this team? It's James Harden has has become one of the most like efficient nuclear bombs of NBA offenses that I've ever seen. He's just a insanely uh, impactful individual on a basketball court, Mike, and it's making everything really work. And we talked about this also last week too, which was that, you know, as much as he's sort of developed into that playmaker first scorer second mentality, Kyrie's finally come all the way around with just being his, the scorer first dude that he should have been all along, maybe in some instances or like pushed back on, as you mentioned in Cleveland and, and Boston. And now it's just really seamless. He's just like, okay, I don't have to do that anymore. That's that's not part of my core identity. I can, you know, let my third eye wander elsewhere. You know, I don't have to worry about that. Yeah, and and like so, you know, and we're people are starting to talk about MVP stuff just across the NBA. Like who LeBron should he get the MVP this year? You know, Giannis probably won't because everyone's bored of Giannis winning MVPs. And I'm not going to make the Harden should be MVP case quite yet, mm-hmm. right? Because, you know, he did do the thing he did in Houston. I'm not saying he was wrong. Well, he was wrong <laughs> for what he did in Houston. He tried to get out of there earlier, though. So the, the Rockets were also at fault there. Um, but if we did like a player X scenario, meaning if I took away the name, 
and sort of the history of this guy, and you look just cold and calculating at the numbers, the fact that the Nets are tied, you know, for the most wins in the Eastern Conference, uh, there's a guard on this team, you know, that's averaging 24, 11, and 7 or whatever Harden's averaging um, with the Brooklyn Nets. If you were just, if that was just sort of the, the resume and you didn't see the name on top of that resume, you would say he's like a top four MVP candidate. Mm-hmm. He won't win the MVP because of emotions. And, you know, he is playing with Kyrie and KD. No matter, even though that KD doesn't play basketball, he's still viewed as the leader and the, the tip of the spear mm. for the Brooklyn Nets. But he, I think Barkley said this on TNT, must have been last night. He said that he thought that Harden was the best one-on-one player he's ever seen. And... You know, he's he hasn't been like the nuclear I'm, you know, ISO, ISO hardened, mm-hmm. of course, that he was in Houston. He's a better player than he was in Houston yeah. now. Oh, yeah. Because he's playing in a system, he's playing not even I won't even say a system. He's just playing in a flow of basketball that like normal guys play in. And it makes him better. It makes him better to do that. Um he and he's learning how to do it. Uh he's learning that he can actually take open threes. This team is it, it's just startling. If you had to guess, how much, how down would you say uh, Kyrie's assists were this year compared to previous years? I would say they're down by two assists. They are not down much at all. They're down 0.5 assists from last year, and they're up 0.8 from his last years in in Boston or his second to last year in Boston. He's hitting right in in the meaty part of the bell curve for his assist numbers. Which I actually think is really interesting for Kyrie because, like, he's holding the ball less but still doing basically the same kind of effective playmaking that he's always done. He just doesn't have to, like, be the lead engineer of the offense. Um, Anyways, I just thought that was an interesting thing because I would have – I looked at it guessing, like, oh, it's probably down to, like, you know, three or four a game or whatever. Still hovering right around six. Um, And so it's like how does that – you know, (laughs) how is that possible? Because it seems like he's doing it so much less, but it's not the case. By the way, quick breaking news here. Oh, wow. I was noticing um, you had that squinty face. Like, I was worried, like, if I completely misread my, my stat sheet and you're like, what is this guy talking about? But anyways, yeah, go ahead. This is from Billy Reinhardt on Twitter. <laughs> shut up, shut um, up Billy. Billy aggregated something that Mark Spears of ESPN said. Shut up, Mark. And <laughs> on the jump, shout out the shut jump. Shut uh, That the Brooklyn Nets are shopping Spencer Dinwiddie for deadline upgrades. Oh, boy. Now, obviously, Dinwiddie's hurt. He's out for the season, though he is posting continual photos of himself working out, uh, trying to get better, mm. uh, trying to get back. The team has applied for an injury exemption or, you know, disabled player exemption mm. or whatever it's called. Um, I wonder if can you trade a guy and still use it? I don't think so. I don't think it would work that way. Mm. So that is the card that I don't slight detour. That is obviously a card that the Nets have to play. Dinwiddie technically could be an expiring contract. He does have a player option for next year. If I was the team trading for him, I would actually want him to pick up that option because I would believe that Spencer Dinwiddie is going to offer more value even coming back from injury mm-hmm. than he would, you know, just being an empty salary cap slot. You know, that's how I would feel. What what the Nets can do with that spot, who knows? You know, we're going to have to keep digging in mm. um, on exactly what that is, but I just had to include that in here. We'll probably keep talking about it yeah. for the rest of the episode. That's it's a little heavy with me. I don't like that that much. 
Well, I, I've always kind of like loved the idea that he could come back yeah, and that's part of that's like, part of the story. That's that's part of the like, narrative I've built in my mind. Yeah. I mean, he's averaging uh, his his salary for this year is eleven point four five, so eleven point five million. And there's a lot of guys in the NBA that you could get for that amount of money, and that would fit into the team. The Nets would be able to to make a real play for someone. So, like, I'm pulling up the the contracts right now as mm-hmm. we're speaking. All right, here are people who are kind of who are below Spencer Dinwiddie. Larry Nance Jr. is almost exactly the same salary as Spencer Dinwiddie. Larry Nance Jr., of course, has been a crush of mine forever. Mm. Um, he is uh, someone that I've always wanted. He's hurt right now, but he's a def- he's a premium defender across multiple positions. Uh, Zion Williamson, Brian, can I interest you in Zion Williamson? <laughs> no, yeah, sure. Jay Crowder. Jay Crowder is a guy who hasn't really played all that well uh in phoenix george hill classically is someone that every team seems to add into a playoff push uh there there are people that are out there in the world that the nets could get with that let's it, it's worth mentioning because that is a good report to talk about ryan michael nick claxton what's your thoughts about nick claxton <sighs> um you know what i actually so um shout out to true boy matt brooks who did a good video that kind of highlighted nick claxton's defense which if we had our S together and had, you know, a YouTube where we did film breakdowns, which we we never will, Mike. We It's time to face those facts. Um, I might have been tempted to do a similar – because I was watching Nick Claxton in those first minutes of that game against uh, the Kings. And I was like, wow, he's got some interesting defensive instincts. I may, might have, have a bad take on Nick Claxton. He actually might play real minutes. Um, it's not quite yet a sustained effort, but there is – you know, if we're on the – desert island of looking for you know defensive value in <laughs> in um in our uh, big man rotation right now a little bit i i am seeing we're rubbing some sticks and i found some some smoke there's a little bit of smoke there <laughs> there's something to facilitate um it's not we're not going to throw some logs on it quite yet but there's something there um so for that reason i was actually pretty interested in the nick Lackson thing. I, I still think he's he's obviously still a got a long ways to go in terms of pacing and you know uh sort of being in the right place at the right time, kind of instincts, all that kind of good stuff. Um, I haven't seen a whole lot of, of his offensive weaponry. Probably don't need to, um, may not need to for a few years. So there's that. So like, if you're going to pick a thing to be good at early on, he, he picked the right thing to actually get some rotation minutes here. Um, so yeah, my take is that I might have had a bad take on Nick Claxton when we last spoke about him, which was, I was like, I don't think he's going to see much floor time at all. I think, I think there might be a small chance that he could get those, those sneaky 15 to 17 minutes on a pretty regular basis. Yeah. I think my, so I always really veer towards the big fat beefy centers, right? Like that's what I, we're a thick, we're a thick duo and we, you know, we (laughs) are biased towards thickness. That's, that's how we are. Yeah. My, my image of a center, what's the Bill Weddington, the guy, the big, just we, chunky white guy. I, on I like Bulls. when they, I was, did we talk about this? I was watching the last dance and I just like the background of that guy's, he's just got like pinball machines, like wall to wall pinball <laughs> machines. That's like, a great, that's a, what are you getting into? That Bill? feels like yeah. true detective season four <laughs> a little bit. Like if he was the villain in true detective season four, would yeah. you blink? Yeah. No, no, not at all. Uh, big Bill, yeah, big, big, big Bill, Bill. Weddington. Um, <laughs> but so I like a big, big, thick guy, but here's what Nick Claxton offers, not thickness, but verticality because, mm. you know, he had two blocks. He wasn't incredibly, he was not incredibly impactful around the rim, but 
he can switch on pretty much anyone. Yeah. At least switch and be represented. At least like not make it a like if a, if he switches onto a point guard, it is an, an abomination. Yeah. He had four steals last night, which is something that big guys don't typically do at that level. And he and he can stay home against guys even like you know larger wings and stuff. Like he he can just like straight up face guard and and stay with them for you know most like Jared Allen for example. We always talked about for years that he kind of would let guys blow by them and then he would just like kind of stalk for for that block like you know at the at the end of letting the guy kind of like careen past him and Nick Claxton is not exactly that. I mean he his foot speed seems to be able to be able to keep up with you know dudes six four and up, um, which is super useful for our big man rotation as it currently stands. Yeah. And, and he will provide some rim protection, you know, but he's super athletic. Spencer Dinwiddie's joke has always been that before they got KD Kyrie and James Harden, that Nick Claxton was like the most talented player on the nets. And I asked Spencer if he still thinks that I wonder, you know what, or the second most talented behind Kyrie Irving or whatever it was, but he is supremely talented. He was winded though. Yeah, he was so noticeably winded, winded yeah. <laughs> for 15 minutes of play. Like I looked at his, like I was expecting him to see like play 30 minutes last night because yeah. of how tired he was. Played 15 minutes. He was like Nicholas. He was he was as guess as I would have been in that time. That was that's that's <laughs> no, that's not true. But he, I mean, he, shout out to the Discord. We were no, that's true. That is how tired he was. Yeah. He was YMCA. Yeah, and he was angry at himself too. Tired. He was like, oh, I'm so angry that I'm that I'm tired right now. Yeah. And I'm sure it's hard to condition when you have, you know, knee tendinopathy or whatever mm. the thing that he had. Like, how can you, you know, how much Peloton can you do? None. Peloton's, Peloton's pretty, pretty hard on the knees. It's gruesome for your knees. You don't. Um, Peltons, you Peltons are bad for your back, Mike. You got to watch out with those things. Make sure you diversify. Okay. Don't scare me. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah. yeah. That is the thing. Mm-hmm. You do need to divert. Peloton's not going to save you. No, you got to do other you stuff. get some other things in there. I mean, I don't exercise at all. So who am I? What the, what the hell am I talking about? Who, yeah. who am I? <laughs> yeah. Um, I, you have to be encouraged by Nick Claxton. I don't think he's the answer, but he is um, sort of like a weapon that Steve Nash can throw out there. You know, if this is Mortal Kombat, this isn't the sub-zero freeze the guy and then break him open and blood falls everywhere. Mm. But but it's a good high kick. It's a good it's a good yeah a stiff. It's not the, the roundhouse the high kick. It's a, that stiff side kick. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know the one. Yeah, and even I'll do a little. We just talked about Spencer Dinwiddie trade value and all that stuff. I mean, if Nick Claxton shows something, then he becomes a trade piece to include into something else for another veteran piece to add to this championship roster soon to be championship roster, right? Like it's not, it's not a bad thing. I will say, I really like the way the nets are handling injuries this this season. So Durant, obviously it's a little concerning that he hasn't played Steve Nash. I think two games ago was talking about that. The fact that like, Oh, Durant's looking pretty good. And we think he's going to come back soon. And he still does not play basketball. My sub theory off of that is that Durant doesn't want to go to the all-star game. Mm -hmm. And, uh, he's just he's just said to the Nets like if we keep winning like why yeah can't I just like not play basketball yeah. and like that. so I can skip the All Star game yeah. um, you think you think they I had like that what, combo I think they had that combo and I'm not reporting it but and I like that Jeff Green Jeff Green after getting mauled by the pit bull that is Pat Beverly um, he has a right shoulder contusion that they haven't been playing him because they don't need to they can just let everyone relax and get. Give Mr. Claxton 15 minutes. What is wrong with Patrick Beverly? I'm, I still think about it to this. I, that play, I have bad dreams about it. <laughs> what, why would you do that to Jeff Green? Do, do you know the type of mentality it takes 
if you are Patrick Beverly to make it in the NBA, right? Like we you yeah. aren't all that talented at basketball. So what do you do? You become an absolute terror yeah. as a personality. Well, you know that he's and that's how you get it. We've talked about how he's the focus of Hoop Dreams too. Hoop Dreams too. Yeah. The hoopening. The hoopening. <laughs> Is that what they call the it? Re-hoopening. Yeah. <laughs> the re-hoopening. Yeah. Um real quick, I did want to go through um oh, I'm just kidding. Uh, some of the some of the role players because we, we need to get people love. I mean, we should start if we're talking about any role player. The number one role player on this team right now, the number one role player in the NBA is your boy, Bruce Brown. Um, Bruce Brown, the evolution of Bruce Brown from DNP to nuclear force on the floor is startling. I can't really give Steve Nash credit for that because he wouldn't play him in the beginning of the year. No, um, yeah, but, um, this it, well, you know what? Bruce actually, Brown, concern, yeah. I would give him actually yeah. a little bit more credit because there's like an admission of guilt in in starting Bruce Brown <laughs> after after DNPing him for so long, like like a like a clown. Like, why would you do that? But um, there is like an admission of guilt there inherent in in being like, okay, you're the starting center. I, I goofed. Bruce, I mean, the thing about Bruce Brown is that he feels like those Nets teams before they even got D'Angelo Russell. Like he is the type of player who would have been like leading an offense for the Nets when they had Lionel Hollins as a coach or early Kenny Atkinson days, uh, except now he's, you know, this weird Zach Lowe wrote about him in his 10 things where Zach Lowe is basically like Bruce Brown is a new position because he isn't a guard. He doesn't handle the ball and he plays down low in a center position. He called him a rover, basically. And that is what uh, Bruce Brown's been doing. Uh it is incredible, and let's pour one out for our boy Musa. The Nets got Bruce Brown for Musa in a second-round pick. And you and I were bullish about the trade at the time. Felt pretty good about it. Um, what Bruce Brown's allowing the Nets to do is to have someone out there in the starter units who can actually play defense and is like willing to just stand by the basket and wait for the ball to come to him at some point. You know what else that he represents, too? Like... <sighs> This is another dumb qualitative emotional argument, but he represents a thing that we used to, you know, have a lot of, but I think is really important for just like the, the chemistry of, of a good vibes team, um, of which we like currently have in, in pretty nice doses, but it's the unlikely hero. We've got our like unlikely <laughs> ascendant hero guy, you know, who's inventing a new role in the NBA, uh, is like just, you know, is should not be doing what he's doing and is succeeding at it. Like it kind of like we used to have like, you know, Joe Harris kind of occupied that space, but he's like, you know, that's not him anymore. He's like now the fourth option and like having an amazing season. We don't actually talk enough about Joe Harris. I think probably I mean, like his, the current situation there is, is we've done very well for ourselves with that contract. It, it appears, um, which that may not have been everyone's take at the time, but, but uh, and also it's like the meme is like oh like he's gonna do really well this year because all this but he's like really doing it he's you know <laughs> there has been no yeah he's shooting fifty one percent from three like, it's insane you know, every, you know that's the thing where like, like oh you've got three great players you're gonna have a good shooting percentage he's like wow he's really actually like crushing it yeah yeah like fifty one percent from three like I'm sure it'll tail off the funny thing is he's like sixty nine percent from the line yeah. and we always love to to point to free throw percentage being a, a correlation to three point percentage. Dude, it may t- taper off, but I mean, I, I wish I had this thing in front of me, but I was just looking at the overall like increase in three point percentages across the league. Like there is a 
new paradigm shift happening with like what are what, what should be considered good uh, three point shooting going forward. Like I feel like he's at the like it's been trending upwards. Like he was hovering around like 46, 47 percent for the majority of the season, but now it's you know ticking up by five percent. Um, and I think that that might be the new normal for Joe Harris. Like on this team, you know, I don't know that you know, carries over anywhere else, obviously, but like with the amount of looks that he's getting, that's, you know, and there's other guys that are sort of in that proximity for the first time, you know, for a long time. So I just feel like there's a new thing happening. Anyway, it's not to get off. Well, you know. and and the the thing that, that hasn't been talked about but with Joe is that like, obviously he's getting way more open threes than the on per game than last year. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but just watching basketball, you know, that that is the fact. And so much of his threes in previous seasons relied upon, sort of the J.J. Redick plays, right? Like curling around screens, running all over the the floor, high effort, high energy, open shot looks was what defined a lot of what Joe Harris did, you know, pre-KD, Kyrie, James Harden. Now what's happening is he's getting flow threes, as I call them. Uh, He's getting uh, Kyrie driving to the basket, passing to Harden, Harden driving to the basket, and then little Joey Harris out there by the three-point line for an open three, no rush, beautiful set shot, little quick jump, bang in three. And he's doing it from, I don't have a shot chart again. He's doing it from all Sorry. over the, all over the floor. You know, he's doing it from all over the top of the key. He's not relying on like the corner three. And that's what makes him dangerous. The fact that he can hit a three from all over, over the, the three point line. It's not like he's Anthony Morrow standing in the corner, just waiting for a pass. But I, I do strongly encourage everyone to do this like exercise. It's pretty wild to see just how, I mean, again, where I guess we're just early on in the season. Maybe this will come back down to earth. I mean, it's not that early in the season, but you know, Joe Harris is one of three guys shooting 50% from three point this season. Um, of which Jeremy Lamb and Bobby Portis are the other two. So <laughs> safe to assume that's not going to be the case for very long for them. Um, but Paul George is shooting 48% and you know, <clears throat> that's not the, uh, that would have led the league last year. Um, anyways, I just think that there's a reckoning in that percentage that everyone should kind of pay attention to. Like, you know, the, the recent sort of, um, threshold for good shooting was like probably like 35% or whatever, or like, I, but I think now the league average is like 37%. We were talking about it in the discord, somebody was saying, but it led me down this path. Shout out to the discord, by the way, <laughs> invite in the Twitter bio. Do, <laughs> do join us. It gets, it gets fun during the games. Um, but we're, well, yeah, go ahead. We're real quick on shooting and the, the, the yes on or nets on yes crew, Ian Eagle and Sarah Kustak highlighted this during the game. You know, classically, when you think about a great shooting performance from a single player or over the course of the season, you say there are 50, 40, 90 player, mm-hmm. 50% from the field, 40% from the three point line and 90% from the free throw line. And the Nets aren't shooting 90% from the free throw line. But last night against the Magic, and they've done this multiple times this year, 53% from the field, 44% from three, and 79% from the free throw line. So almost 50, 40, 80. Mm. Um, When as a team you're shooting 40% from three, and you're shooting the volume of threes that you are, and yet still, when you're not shooting threes, you're shooting your other shots at a pretty high percentage. Um. Obviously, this isn't a big take. Your offense is pretty good. Yeah. And they're doing it without Kevin Durant. Again, Kevin Durant's not there. The best offensive player of his generation, they don't have. Yeah. He's not playing basketball right now. 
Yeah, it's funny. I was actually, I was, and I wonder we should do probably a whole pod maybe next time about like the other people in the Eastern Conference now because like I'm pretty, pretty satisfied with what I've seen from the Nets. Kind of feel like I know <clears throat> a little bit about what we can do, and so I've been watching a little bit more of um, Sixers games and Celtics games and oh the Celtics, so on and oh so, no, so the Celtics. What happened? Wait, let me look at the standings. And so on and so forth. Oh wait, they're fifteen and seventeen. <gasps> wait, let me do the math. Oh, that's two games below five hundred. Yeah, oh they're no, not even, they're not even in the playoffs right now, as it as it currently stands. Well, they're they're a play in team. They're a play in team. Brian, they're a play-in they have to. They would have to beat the Lamelo Ball Hornets twice yeah. uh, to get even into a, a playoff. Oh no, the Celtics. Wait, I thought they were so great. Wait, <laughs> wait, one sec, one sec. <laughs> oh wait, my uncle's been sleeping in a in a cryogenic chamber oh. for for three years. One sec. Yeah. This is good. Yeah. Uncle Don? Yeah. So let me w- wake up. <laughs> wake so the Celtics. Wake up. Wait. So the Celtics, when you were sleeping, they had, you know, Kyrie and Tatum and Brown and Gordon Hayward and Horford. Yeah. They suck now. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, they suck. Yeah, no, that's okay. You can go back to sleep. So that's Uncle <laughs> nice. Don. That was, and scene. Good. good. That, was, that was really nice. <laughs> really um, sorry. Yeah. I, I'm. Do you have an Uncle Don? Tangent. Is that a real person? Yeah, I have an yeah. Uncle Don. Shut Great up, guy. shut up, Don. Uncle Donnie, um, I am so happy the Boston Celtics suck. I am so happy. Yeah. Because, and we've talked about this many times, Celtics fans and the rest of the NBA rubbed it into the face of just sad Nets fans for years mm-hmm. about the KG Paul Pierce trade. Mm-hmm. We had to hear about it for years. Yeah. Last episode... Our listeners send in that Tim Bontemps story from 2017. Yeah. This is not a shot a shot at Tim Bontemps. But Here we go. Round two, Tim. Round two. <laughs> Timmy. <laughs> but um, it, it basically was like the Nets are never going to be getting it. Yeah. Okay. So um, we stand here. I'm just looking at the standings. Let me just clean the glasses. Yeah, yeah. Me. Uh, the, the Nets are 22 and 12. Uh, they're, they have a, a, a scoring differential of plus five per game. Cleans glasses again, looks at the Celtics. They are the ninth seed right now in a play-in game, 15 and 17. And if they lose one more game and the Hawks win one, the Hawks would move above them and, you know, the Celtics are out of the playoffs, as as we're seeing. Delicious, amazing. I'm so happy it's happening. It's good stuff. I'm so happy it's happening to all those people. I was listening to uh, the rights to Ricky Sanchez guys on the most or second most recent um, Zach Lowe podcast. Shout out to sure. the, the Lopez. Shout out. Um, yeah, cute little podcast. They, yeah. um, they, they. It was interesting to sort of like have a have a, a portal into the thinking of of a sort of, you know, they do kind of a similar show to what we do. If you haven't heard of Rights to Ricky Sanchez, it's the Sixers version of of this kind of, and um, <laughs> slightly, <laughs> slightly more successful. Slightly more successful. Um, but they they like. You know, uh, seem seem to be on the fence about the success of, of the Sixers or like whether they could like make it out of the East. And I think like all of them in the, in an instant just kind of had this thing like, but the Nets are terrifying. And and it it was it was an interesting moment. And just because you know I'm always constantly looking as a you know endlessly butthurt Nets fan looking for outside affirmation that this is real, this is all happening. Um, and that was the first like little bit of that kind of um, matter of fact. Um, just letting the realization that like maybe your window is closed because of this team, you know, kind of wash over you. 
Um, I think that that's beginning to happen for some of these because like, and what their only response was like, yeah, I think it's a, it's, you know, it could go either way. You know, they're, we have Embiid. That's a bad matchup for them. And I was like, dude, Embiid, like think about the, like on paper, just the, the Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid versus Kevin Durant, James Harden, Kyrie, just those names on the marquee just doesn't add up. And that's a simple, <laughs> it's a simple, very reductive argument. Um, but there's something there. And, and further to that, I was and not to get too, too into it, but thinking about the, the Billy King situation, the draft situation and building a team via draft versus building it in the way that we have via just kind of like hired guns. <clears throat> and um, there's a lot of pros and cons to both of those things, but the situation that like the Celtics are faced with and the Sixers are faced with having built their team via the draft is that they didn't really ultimately know who they who they were pairing with whom, right? Ben Simmons, they thought could maybe evolve into a player that he's doesn't seem to be evolving into. And that's fine. That's like, but you wouldn't take, if you're going to build a team, you wouldn't probably pluck Ben Simmons and, and Joel Embiid and be like, that's a good matchup. Let's, let's mush those two faces together and like, have that be a great team. You wouldn't, you probably wouldn't do that. And so with one of the advantages that I think people undersell with the hired gun thing is you get to pick your spots a little bit more. I mean, not that like everyone gets to, it's a, it's, you know, super teams that are already in a, in a echelon of like success and, you know, ge- geographic kind of opportunity, blah, 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 all that stuff like adds into it. So like, it's an annoying argument because yeah, like the Cavs don't, don't get to really participate in the, in the, in the hired gun conversation, unfortunately. Um, Sorry, uh, but but yeah. Anyways, <laughs> there is there is like, I, I and I'm not trying to like do post hoc defense of the Billy King trade. That's you know we're not in that business anymore. We used to be, but we're not. Um, but there is like a little bit of advantage to not having to kind of be like, does Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum does that really work together? Is that really going to be the the duo that takes you to the next level? Um, it appears that there is the beginning. There's, there's the, the chinks in the armor are starting to show there. Yeah. And, and my, my specific thing, and we're going to obviously like, we're going to talk so much more about Sixers nets just in perpetuity, basically until it happens. Mm-hmm. My basic thing is yes. Embiid is a fear, right? And Embiid had that 50 point game this week. He's an MVP candidate. He's amazing. But the thing that the nets have going for them, that's like, you could basically let Embiid score 50 every game, which wouldn't happen, but you could, as long as you play everyone else well on defense. Mm-hmm. As long as you actually focus on not allowing Ben Simmons getting into the paint and you stop Curry from getting off shots and Danny Green from getting off shots, I think the Sixers are going to make another trade. They need, I mean, knowing Maury, they're going to make another big trade if they, they can. They just don't scare me at all on any level right now, and neither do the Bucks, honestly. Like I, I know I'm getting like into into this. like I love this douchey, party, douchey territory, yeah, like, but they don't fucking they don't fucking scare me. They just I don't fucking I don't but, give a shit. But about I'm just that. thinking about it, like you know, if I if I'm really like searching my heart for who like you know scares me of teams, it's Anthony Davis back on the Lakers. That's that's a situation that I think is is bad for us, um, and. Not much else. TB totally H. If I had, if I have to really drill down on like what's the, what are teams that can truly mess with us? It's I think it's just the Lakers at this point. Do, I really want to unpack this in a bigger episode. I still feel like the Bucks are the scariest team to me, only because they do have so much size, and that Jan, like Giannis is still. Like, I feel like we're just, like, not caring about Giannis this year because he's won two MVPs and they've been disappointing in the playoffs. Like, he's still pretty amazing. 
Drew Holiday can lock up one of either Kyrie Irving or Kevin James Harden. And so I that's the team to me that's the scariest technically for stopping the Nets. I think they have the most amount of weapons in terms of defensive weapons. But offensively, you know, they're they're gonna have a tougher time scoring, but the Nets aren't that good on, on defense. So anyways. Um real quick before we go. Yeah. Unless you had one more thing you wanted to say. Mm-hmm. Um let's talk a little bit about the schedule real quick. So the Nets, they unveiled this the, the rest of the season schedule after the All-Star break. And if you look at it, the Nets are basically on national TV for every game. Like there's a stretch where there's a stretch where they're on NBA TV, ABC, or TNT for six games in a row. Um, and even beyond that, there's like a TNT, ABC. I think they're back-to-back on TNT at one point uh, on a Tuesday and a Thursday. Um, the Nets are, you know, the biggest draw right now in the NBA probably besides the Lakers. Uh, should we care about that? Do you care? Does that make you feel good? The fact that the Nets are now suddenly the team that the national TV affiliates, they want so badly to have it on their air. Yeah. I mean, I hate to say it, but like, I'm, I am trying to embrace this, this, the inner douche that I have that I'm, that I'm trying to, (laughs) that I've stuffed down, down the hole for so long. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm experiencing for the first time in, in a very long time, you know, being, a super competitive, you know, team. I, I, we had a podcast about this team for years. We were talking about Don, D Sloan <laughs> for for you know three years. We did this. Shout Shouts out, big to D shout. Sloan. Out. We got to get that rest <laughs> power, D. <laughs> but but I'm just saying, like, just kidding. He's alive. Is it just kidding? I mean, what do you do? I mean, that's, it's a great kind of question though, because it's like, what do you do? Do you lean into like? You can't lose yourself, obviously. There's still that that hurt child that lives just beneath the surface, just perilously <laughs> close to the surface. Uh, the like Wojak mask, like, you know, meme comes to mind of like, you know, <laughs> like I, as much as I want to be like a smirking, you know, Yankees fan or whatever, I'm still a butthurt, you know, Nets fan under underneath it all. I, and as long as I keep that, at, you know, forefront of mind while we're doing this like window of, of what could be a whole lot of success here, I'm, I'm okay with kind of putting on that air for, for just a while, just seeing what it feels like, you know? I, I mean, I will say, I think. It was a thing for so long that the Nets didn't have a national TV game or they'd be on like NBA TV against the Raptors randomly. Yeah. It does feel good to be wanted. And also we learned that the the yes on Nets crew will be broadcasting every single game except for like there's the there's one game against the Lakers, the only game against the Lakers for the rest of the season that it's just not going to be on. Yes, it's going to be on ABC. Um, can I tell you a quick, a fun little stretch yeah. of basketball on the schedule? Because we don't really, I mean, like, again, like you're playing the teams you're going to play. This isn't like a discovery period, really. There's a stretch from April 5th. I'll take all the way to April 23rd, April 25th. So those three weeks, you start with the Knicks, Pelicans, and Lakers at home. Mm -hmm. Then you go to Minnesota and down to Philly. So that Philly matchup on a Wednesday night at Philly ESPN game. Mm -hmm. The Charlotte Hornets. And then you go to Miami on a Sunday midday game at the Pelicans and at Toronto. Toronto, I think, is probably still playing in Tampa at that point. I don't think I don't. Maybe they'll be allowed back. And then April, it goes ends with Boston at home and the Suns at home two back to back ESPN games again. Uh, there's a lot of juicy matchups in there. The Sixers game, of course, is going to be a big one. There's probably going to be more fans at that game than obviously now. 
You know, if you're thinking, you know, the Nets obviously let fans into the building, like a thousand fans or whatever the number is, into Barclays now. Mm-hmm. Um, we're February 26th right now. Mid-April, Brian and I may even be getting some shots in our arms. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. I mean, we're essential personnel. We're frontline workers. Uh, we're, we're on the front lines of podcasting. That's right. Um, but so what's going to be exciting is that as these games are coming up on the schedule, more and more people are going to be able to actually get into these buildings and see these games. And the other good thing for the Nets, I don't think the Nets had a canceled or postponed game at all, right? We The Nets haven't had a postponed game throughout no. the entirety of this first no. half. So that means that the Nets will have a fairly regular <laughs> schedule <clears throat> for this back half, while other teams, yeah. like the Celtics had a couple of postponements, those teams are going to have to be kind of jamming in a few extra games. If you're even putting in three extra games into your back half schedule, it's going to what, make things sticky. What are the, as sticky as Brian's Honda Civic <laughs> cup holders. Legendarily sticky. Um, well, yeah, like what are the Grizzlies going to do? They got to make up like 10 games or something, right? Like they missed a ton. Yeah, I, I don't even know how – like how do you – how do you do that? It's almost, it's almost more dangerous to have all these postponed games and jamming them in than having – of threat of coronavirus, mm, like literally, like, you know, for like physical exhaustion. You mean, or for physical exhaustion yeah. and injury, yeah. and um, not like life threatening, obviously. <laughs> um, but <laughs> but yeah, it, it's it's a they're like they have a stretch. The Grizzlies do for, from a Friday to a Friday where they play six, where they play five games in in basically a week's time. You know, and that's that's not optimal. Like quick chicken. Are we the best team in basketball? Do we win a championship this year? Just quick check. Yes. You th- yes. It you is. think so? Yeah. yeah I think so. Best team. Yeah. Particularly if they make one more signing. Pick up someone. Yeah. Okay. Oh, Pick you're on the side of that. I could see that's, I mean, we didn't really dig into this too much. We kind of got to gather our thoughts here, but the Spencer Dinwiddie situation is, yeah, more on that on our next yeah, adventure. Thank you all so much for listening. It was five stars. Oh, the little yawn. The little yawn. Dude, <laughs> it's hard. Yeah, Drez. Yeah, that was a lot. We did 40, a whole 46 minutes there. That was a lot. <laughs> uh thank you all for listening we appreciate all of you uh this has been such a fun season so far excited to continue to chronicle it as we go along um you can find brian at his address at 245 west martin street is that a street i mean hopefully somebody else doesn't live at that address <laughs> i mean hopefully that isn't a thing um thank you all for listening thanks everybody Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.